CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer as we get together every weekday afternoon at this time, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical perspective and what we hear in church on, well, whenever we attend fellowship, is it even in the Bible at all? So you might want to give us a call if you hear something that kind of doesn't sound quite right. Hey, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. 88. 88. Ask CSN is the number to call. If you've been reading your Bible, someone's asked you a question. That's also a good reason to call. Again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker that comes on one hour before to every minute answer, John Randell from Calvary Chapel, South OC, San Clemente, California. Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you on this Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, excited to answer questions. Always look forward to Tuesdays. Get a chance to sit down with the CSN family, and uh, yeah, it's always a blessing, man. So glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. It's always a blessing to be with you. Looking forward to answering some questions with you. And again, in these days that we live, as Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So important. Mm-hmm. Again, 8888, ask CSN's the number to call. we got some lines open, and we're going to go ahead and go to the phones. We have Angela on the line in Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Good afternoon. I'd like to ask if you could please shed some light on what is called the Hebrew Roots Movement, whereby including in the teaching is that Christians will be grafted in with Jews, future tense. And all of us, eventually, together, will be called back to Israel, the promised land, at God's appointed time. Well, one of the things we know for sure, during the millennial reign of Christ, uh, Jew as well as as Gentile Christians, we will be ruling and reigning with Christ with the headquarters there in Jerusalem. Now, for many people, they don't maybe know this. The future of the world, the one world order, is not going to be in England. It's not going to be in Europe. It's not going to be in Russia or China. The Bible says it's going to be Jerusalem. And there, Jesus himself will rule and reign for a thousand years. And the Bible says we as his bride will rule and reign with him. Now, about this movement, your thoughts. Well, the premise of the Hebrew Roots movement is the belief that the church is somehow veered away from the true teachings and the Hebrew concepts of the Bible. And the movement basically maintains that Christianity has been indoctrinated with the culture, both Greek and Roman. And so basically what the Hebrew roots, even in the name, it kind of says that they want to get back to the Hebrew part of uh, almost like uh, back to the, the Mosaic covenant. In other words, when Christ went to the cross, his death didn't end the Mosaic covenant, but instead renewed it, expanding its message. And so a lot of times, you know, these, these people who are part of the Hebrew uh, roots movement, they like to be called messianic Christians. And so they'll adapt to some of the old Jewish principles, et cetera, perhaps some of the, the dietary restrictions and, and so forth. Um, you know, they refer to the Torah, 
Um, they refer to Jesus oftentimes as Yeshua rather than Jesus. And, you know, Mike, it's unfortunate because I, I think there, there is a difference between Jew and Gentile in the sense that we're not Jewish. We're, we're, we are Gentiles. Yes, we're graft, we're, we're part of the family of faith, but, but to try to bring Gentiles back under, um, you know, the old Hebrew, uh, customs, et cetera, it's concerning to me, and I've had uh, a few different experiences with those who uh, lean toward this. They they want to keep all the feasts. They want to wear the the Jewish uh, prayer shawls. They want to sell, you know. And and I just think, well, you know, you, if you want to do that, you can. But but the Lord hasn't called us to do that. I think the problem is when you start looking at people who are not Jews and they're Gentiles and say, unless you are part of the Hebrew roots movement then you're not really a Christian. Those are the things you have to be careful of. So I, I, I love the Jewish people. I've been to Israel 12 times. I, I love the people. They're God's people, and, and I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But God didn't call me to be a Jew. He called me to be a Christian, and there is a difference, and I think it's important to make that distinction. Yeah, and, and the other thing, you know, very clearly, uh, we realize that the letter to the Jews um, uh, and the letter to the Gentiles in, in primarily— uh, we're different. You you have a letter of Romans uh, to the to the Gentiles. You have a a letter written in the Bible to the Hebrews, uh, bringing in their cultures and things like this, uh, and yet reconciling the new covenant in Christ in the book of Hebrews. Now, the idea of going back under the law, going back under all those kinds of things, in that if I wear my prayer shawl, if I wear my my prayer cap, if I do these things, that's going to make me spiritual. There is nothing, nothing that you and me do physically to make ourselves spiritual. We have to remember that. Spirituality is not generated by us. It is a gift of God that God does. Out of obedience, we do certain things to please God because we love him. But there's nothing that I do wearing undergarments, carrying a lucky rabbit's foot in my pocket, wearing a cross around my neck, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, gluing a statue on the dashboard of my car. None of those things generate spirituality. And we have to understand Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. What's so important? The moment that we move from Jesus being the author of our faith, being the author of our salvation, to something that I do, getting back under the law, observing Jewish feasts and customs, uh, all these different things, add nothing to our spirituality. Now, if somebody, again, as you said, John, wants to do that, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, providing, providing, and this is a big provide, providing that you, for some reason, think you're more spiritual if you do those things. There's where the danger comes in. Because again, then I am generating my spirituality. I don't need Jesus. I will generate it. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. And this is one of the great problems we have. We're not saved by new moons and Sabbaths. And Paul says, don't let anybody judge you according to these things. This is what the book of Galatians is so clearly about. And so I think we have to be very, very careful not to dismiss, you might say, our Jewish heritage that we all have as a Christian, but that God has, in fact, addressed us differently than he does them, though we're all in desperate need of a Savior. But we don't, through the blood of bulls and goats, uh, approach God 
And there's nothing we do in ourselves to generate that righteousness. It's the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope that helps, Angela. Yes, it does. Thank you. God bless. I would recommend you read the book of Ephesians for your friends. That will give you what you need. And if you like, stay online, and we'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Let's go to Gary, Delphine, Alabama, I believe it is. Hi, welcome. Hey, Pastor Mike and John. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. You too. Buddy. How may we help? Uh, I'm starting out the year, uh, reading through the Bible in the year, and I have a couple of different uh, kind of templates I use. Two questions. One, uh, in the book of Psalms, there's several references as well as other books in the Bible. God's right hand. I just wanted to know the significance, like Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So there's lots of references to the right hand of the Father. And also in John, where in John 20, where it talks about Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. It mentions him two or three times. It never mentions who this disciple is. That's John in the Bible. And again, it isn't that God didn't, Jesus didn't love the other disciples. It's just that John recognized that great love that God had for him. And so he humbly referenced himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, Jesus loved all the disciples as well, but he, um, um, acknowledges that great love that he had for him. Now, as far as the right hand of God, the right hand signifies literally uh, an equal position, honor, or power. So we find when Stephen in Acts says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, that's speaking of an equal position, honor, or power that you would find there. And it means other things as well. Your thoughts, John? Well, I would agree with that. It's, it's that right hand. That's that, that place of honor, equal honor. You, you said it well, Mike and, uh, high rank. They're at their right hand. And, um, you know, you think of what Paul writes, uh, about Jesus there in Ephesians when he says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us? The one believing the working of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality, power, and authority, and every name being named, not only in this world, but also in the coming age, Ephesians 1, 19-21. It's just that position of authority, his rightful place, the right hand of God, and uh, that is what it would be, would be a reference to God's right hand. Also, you see it in prophecy as well, Mike. Amen. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you so much, and and thank you for always answering Bible questions from the Bible. It's It's so much appreciated. Well, God is good. And, and stay online, Gary. I'll send you out some books, some DVDs. The new one I have, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort. I'll get that out to you. Great for evangelism. Pass them out. Get them to your friends. Get them back and relend them out again. Let's do the best we can for God while we can. So stay online, Gary. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Victor, California. Hi, and welcome. Hello. Hello, Pastor. How are you today? Good. How may we help? Um, I got uh, two questions. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, my first question is, uh, as Christians, how do we deal with people robbing us with the anger part? You know, um, we have lots of anger towards them, you know, because of what they've done to us. And my my other question uh, was uh, about salvation. Um, I have a friend that... Uh, 
he pretty much thinks that it's uh, impossible to be saved. Um, and I told him, no, that's what Jesus came for, for our sins, as long as we believe, you know, and uh, he doesn't think so. So it's kind of like he doesn't understand, you know. So that's my answer uh, or my questions. Well, I, I would say he's right. He's absolutely, we cannot be saved um, by the keeping of the law. And, you know, when you look at the righteous requirements of God to enter into heaven, this is what the Ten Commandments and the other laws are about, God's holy, high-ranking standard. However, we realize if you err in one, as the Bible says, we err in all. And this is the—going back to our first question today, this is the error of trying to go back to Judaism— um, because if we err in any of it, we, we err in all of it. Now, Jesus said in John 12, I have kept my Father's, literally, if you read it, my Father's righteous requirements. I've kept my Father's law. Now, you keep mine, and that's to love one another, already understanding that they wanted to love God. But Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets in two commands. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself, for upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, why is that important? Because it isn't by the, um, you might say, our our efforts to keep the Ten Commandments that we're saved. And this is why I have problems with the Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witness, and some others that believe that they're justified by keeping the, the law. Uh, again, well, we, you know, we worship on Saturday and we don't eat pork and we don't do this and we don't do that. And, oh, look how spiritual I am because I don't do those things or do those things, whatever the case is. And I believe this is where the problems come from. It's self-generated righteousness. The Bible says no good thing dwells in the flesh. And so if we're trying to generate our own righteousness, we don't really need Christ. However, without Christ, we are bound for hell. So this is why we have to go back to that simple relationship with Christ. And I believe, as the Bible says, whosoever will may come. If we'll call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. And this is where I believe that's so important. So actually, I would tell your friend, you know, you're absolutely right. You can't be saved according to the law. You look at the righteous requirements of what, what the Bible lays down is, is acceptable to God. We all fall so short that there is no way we would ever be saved. But here's the good news. We don't go to heaven because we're good. Now, this is what's so important. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ is good, died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible then says we are clothed in his righteousness. Like you'd wrap a winter coat around you. You're clothed in his righteousness. That's what makes us holy. So I would go back and tell your friend, you know, you're really, it's really what you're saying is true, except for Jesus Christ. And we don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because he's good. Because I believe, again, that's so important to understand the source of our righteousness, not self-generated, but what you do. Now, as far as anger goes and being angry with people who um, break in and steal and our reaction to those things, I, I believe that we, if we as, as, as uh, Christians and believers don't stand up for what is right, 
then lawlessness will take over everywhere. That's why our nation has been so wonderful in the past is because we were a nation of laws and we didn't let people get away. Now, currently we have the sky's the limit. Do whatever you want to do. Gangs go into these stores. In fact, I saw a flyer on a, on a, on a billboard. You know how they put those flyers up on telephone poles and stuff? It said shoplifters unite. They can't arrest all of us. So we're going to have a meeting and then they're going to determine which store to go in and steal everything they can get their hands on with little or no repercussions from the police. So when lawlessness abounds, I believe this is where we're getting so many of the problems that we're finding right now in America. And so many stores, big box stores, have come to the conclusion we're not going to prosecute shoplifters on smaller items. So they pick up a, a chainsaw or whatever and walk out of the store with it. Well, we're not going to prosecute them. We don't want the negative PR. We don't want to go through all the court hearings and stuff. So we just let them steal it. Well, you get more of whatever you allow. And so if you allow crime to continue, if you allow illegal border crossings, if you allow, if you allow fentanyl to pour across our borders unchecked, you're going to get more and more and more because that's just the nature of it. So what is our reaction to that? I believe we need to be those people that stand up for Christ and what is right. And so, you know, if I saw somebody, you know, breaking into a car, whether it's mine or somebody else's, I'd say, hey, stop that. You, you, you can't do that. And I have in times past. Now, sometimes they want to pull the bully thing on you and they rear their chest up at you and say, you're breaking into his car. And then you start yelling, this guy's breaking into people's cars. And the guy runs off. You know, he's not going to try to take on everybody. But I, I think we have to be in a posture to forgive. But we also have to have a posture to stand up for what's right. Your thoughts, John? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, talks about anger. Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. It is a natural emotion to have anger. Um, and I think it, that it's a, there's a difference between righteous indignation, anger, when we see uh, violence, when we see crime, when we see injustice. That's a real thing. And and it is uh, upsetting. The Bible also reminds us, as it relates to our anger, Victor, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so, that you know, it's one thing to get angry as it relates to vengeance. That's something that the Lord one day the, the one whose uh, throne ha is established on righteousness and justice, he is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. Until now, I don't think it's wrong to get angry when we see things that are sinful or destructive. I think that's a real emotion. What I do with it is I have to take it to the Lord and I have to allow his spirit to um, work within me. But sometimes um, that righteous indignation can lead me to to do something that is positive, that does make a difference. Uh, if it's the flesh, it can lead me to do something that could get me into danger or harm or harm somebody else. And so there, there is a fine line there, but it's a real emotion. But I realize ultimately that vengeance belongs to God. And um, but there are times, Mike, when there are things that you see that they, they they anger the Lord. There's things that are abomination in the sight of the Lord that the that the world applauds and gives awards for. And we think that's not right. And there is that's he, he that there's anger there. And um 
And so I think just understanding those emotions and how to deal with them through the Lord and through the Spirit. Hope that helps. Amen. Um, so would it be okay for uh, a Christian to uh, to sue somebody to get uh, what they've stolen from you, in other words? Hey, John, your thoughts? Yes, I do believe that the law is for the lawless. I mean, if you have no law, then how in the world could you uh, be able to, um, you know, you'd be a lawless society. So there are certain checks and balances put in place to protect people. If somebody violates a law, if somebody does break in um, or, or steals or whatever, uh, you're uh, as a result of some crime, they should be held accountable. It's not wrong for somebody to be held accountable for a crime that they have committed. I think if that if that's the question, Victor, I think, yeah, there's a place for that. Um, if there's a believer, for example, somebody who's a born-again believer and you're thinking about suing one, sometimes you know, you, you got to start by trying to work through it. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. But then when you have a believer not acting like a believer, then sometimes you have to bring the law in if they're not going to listen. And the law is for the lawless, and there needs to be justice, and that's why we have laws in our society. So I don't think it's wrong to do that. Sometimes you have to. You don't really have any alternative, unfortunately. Yeah, there, there's there's Christian arbitration, of course, right. uh, Christian versus Christian, which I think is always a, a good way to go. Um, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be suing somebody because you want their parking spot, something like that. But if there's really been a crime committed, then I think you have to you have to work with them as Christ would. And and I, I believe, uh, as the Bible says, come, let us reason together. I, I think there has to be that reasoning that is part of our Christianity, which applies God's word, logic, and what's fair to come to the desired outcome. And I think we have to look at all those things. And so... Uh, I hope that I hope that answers it for you, Victor. Yes, yes. Thank you very much, pastors, and uh, God bless you both. Well, God bless you too. And and again, you know, we, we we're called to be peace, uh, to be at peace, uh, as as much as you can, dwell peaceably with all men. Uh, now, the Bible does talk about it's impossible that offenses will come, but woe to the man by whom they come. In other words, somebody that is deliberately wanting to um, to try to pull a fast one. I believe this is is so so awful that we find, and if also in the church, and so we have to be very very careful that we don't find ourselves being numbered in with that darkness. Mm-hmm. Stand line, Victor. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. With that, we'll go to Alberto in Georgia. Hi and welcome. Well, good evening, pastors. My question is, how come a lot of Pentecostal pastors and members, they want to make synonymous uh, the crown of life versus the salvation? Like example, like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, when Paul talks about that if he had preached to others, yeah, he himself would be, you know, be disqualified or cast away. So how do you balance that? Okay, your thoughts. Um, well, let me begin uh, by saying, Alberta, I was not familiar with the fact that, um, as you said, Pentecostals teach that the crown of life is salvation. I do know that the Bible does mention five crowns in Scripture. The one that is referred to the crown of life is found in James chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Um, it's a gift. It's it's uh, the Lord 
calls us to run a race. The Bible talks about the Christian life being like a race. And at the end of that race, we receive rewards for the life that we've lived, actually the life that he enabled us to live. And there are crowns that we received. I, I think if, if the question is, what does it mean to be disqualified? It seems that when Paul talks about having run and in such a way that he disciplines his body, which is a separate subject altogether, where he disciplined his body in First Corinthians 9 so that when he had preached to others, he himself would not be disqualified. It means to lose opportunity. If somebody is, for example, running in a race and they set the record, how many times have we seen in competition where somebody, they're the fastest man that ever lived, and then after that, they get the reward, they stand there, they cry as their national anthem is played, and then they do a drug test and they realize, oh, uh, actually you, you had some juice in you and, uh, it wasn't legal. And now we're stripping the award from you and giving it to somebody else. You are disqualified. And oftentimes you don't get to run again because of the fact that you cheated. So Paul's talking about something in first Corinthians that's different than he's, than James is referring to the crown of life. But, uh, Mike, I'm interested in your take on that. The crown of life as it relates to salvation. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, you won't be in heaven without salvation. Correct. But it appears to me that the crown of life is, again, a, a reward um, and uh, for for service to him. And I think also we find this in Revelation as well, not just there, as you mentioned. So um, I, I I would you know I don't know I I I think it's pretty clear that it's a reward. Your thoughts again? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a reward that's given to believers. Um, Alberto, does that answer your question, or was there something specific that I didn't quite understand what you were saying in that question? Yeah, because I, I, I attend uh, Pentecostal churches years ago, the Church uh-huh. of God of Cleveland, Tennessee organization, and they and they they say, well, like if you don't do it to the end, you know, go like basically you want to receive the kind of life. But then that that's like 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 they make it into heaven and there's and it's like because salvation is not about how 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 far you endure. Salvation is a free gift from God Christ, through Christ's sacrifice. But okay. of course you run the race. But then they say, well, if you don't finish the race, then you're not going to go into heaven. You know what I'm saying? But you, but that's I see. Okay, Mike. It sounds like they're talking about something like the perseverance of the saints and. Um, you know, of course, we're called to persevere. That's something the Bible encourages us to do. But the one thing I love is that it's Christ who works in us, both the willing to do for his good pleasure. He promises to present us faultless, Mike, before his throne. And I'm thankful for that. I'm running the race, but there's times when I feel like he's carrying me in this race that I'm running. I'm going to, we're going to make it. He's, he's ensured us of that. As long as we just abide in him, keep walking with him, we're going to make it. We're going to receive that reward. So I would disagree with that particular stance as it relates to that teaching that you've heard, Alberto. And I just encourage you, Keep running your race. As Mike said, keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And uh, we'll get to the end. Amen. And you'll find it also in Revelation 2.10. Again, he talks about there. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. So it's it appears that it is a reward, uh, not just speaking of salvation. So, Alberto, I hope that helps. If you like, stay on the line. We'll send you out books, DVDs. We'll be back for more right after this. After taking the morning after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseous as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn network clinic where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. 
I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing moms to the life growing inside of them and sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, she will choose life 80% of the time. And Preborn doesn't stop there. They offer mothers maternity clothes, doctor visits, and the help they need to choose life. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. to a Perry Man and Answer here on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon with Jeff, uh, excuse me, John, John Randall from uh, Calvary Chapel, OC. And um, uh, once again, uh, you know, John, that, that last question is important because I think a lot of times, um, you know, you know, we, I think sometimes we think that uh, salvation is a reward for doing it all right. And I found that most of us never do it all right. Um, and that's why we need a savior. Any yeah. last thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say that, you know, Mike, that passage of scripture it talks about salvation, that it is, it's a work of grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It, grace is, it, salvation comes by grace. How could you deserve it? How could you be worthy of it? And earning, I understand the importance of as Christians, persevering and enduring hardship. I mean, there's plenty of scriptures that talk about that. But if me being ultimately saved was determined by my perseverance and endurance alone, Mike, I'd never make it. I need Jesus. I I need him. I need his spirit. I need his word. I, I couldn't make it on my own. And that's why we need a savior. If you can make it on your own by just endure, just do your, you know, who who could make it? That's why we needed a savior. So I understand. But I think sometimes when you emphasize something without the balance of the rest of scripture, you can arrive at the wrong conclusion and preach the wrong thing. So um, it's important to be balanced as you go through the entire Bible. And that's what I appreciate about so guys, so many guys that teach on, on CSN is they teach through the Bible. And so you don't miss anything and uh, you don't, you know, lean on one side to the, to the extent of the other. And so I think it's important. Amen. 
Back to the phones we go. Marie on the line from California. Hi, and welcome. Hello. How can may you we? hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Okay, awesome. So me and my husband were reading through the Bible last night, and we were at Job 9-9. And Job was talking to Bilabad and kind of responding to him, being so negative about Job's position. But Job was talking about the chamber of the South. And it seems like a lot of prophecy to me, but I was really wondering where or what that is. Well, I believe that, again, if you take the context of the verse, it's describing heavenly constellations. As as an example, I'll just read the first part of verse 9. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. Now, what is interesting about this is that there in this verse, he indicates that there's another whole group of constellations, if you will, to the south. And this is true. Now, again, when you understand um, that if you're in, as an example, and I have been in New Zealand, uh, the star constellations are completely different. Those chambers of, of stars are uh, different than they are in the Northern Hemisphere. And so, as an example, uh, the Southern Cross, you cannot see that generally from the United States. Some people say, well, certain times of the year, you might be able to see it from Hawaii. But uh, really, it's it's a different looking sky. And there we find that uh, Job outlines that, that I believe that in these areas, chambers, if you will, there are other constellations as well. And I mean, they go beyond man's understanding to find out. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think in the context there, um, what you find is that the chambers of the South seem to be referring to the constellation known as the perhaps the Southern Hemisphere or the Southern Sky, a reference to the night sky, perhaps, and the celestial bodies that are visible in the Southern Hemisphere. And, and I think what's amazing to me about this particular section of Scripture is Job is, in, Job is recognizing that everything that he sees in creation, as the Bible says, that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Job recognizes that God is so powerful. God made all of these things. Who's going to contend with God? I think about what, what uh, David said when he said, listen, when I consider the heavens, and he says, the, the work of your fingers— the moon and the stars, which you've ordained, I say to myself, what is man that you are mindful of him? And so I think in the context there, Job is just in light of his circumstances, he's wanting a mediator. He's wanting to, he's like, well, how do I even get to him? He made all of these things. Nobody can contend with him. But I do think that that uh, reference to the chamber of the South has to do with the constellation there in the Southern hemisphere as he's, you know, listing all of these things that God has created. And the psalmist said, that's just the work of his fingers. It just amazes me how big our God actually is. And here's what's really amazing about that. How did Job know that there was another whole set of constellations to the south? I think that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you really look at it, when people oftentimes say, well, uh, you know, what I see is what I get. No, Job is saying it's a whole lot bigger than what you can see. Hope that helps, Marie. No, that helps a ton. Thank you so much. God bless you, Marie. Stay in line. Send you out the books, DVDs that we give to everybody. Great for evangelism. Share them with your friends. And uh, 
make a great date night for you and your husband. So I think you'll enjoy that. Stay on the line. We'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Claudia, San Jose, California. Hi, welcome. Oh, hi, Casters. How are you? Thank Good. you very How much for taking know? my call. Yeah, the reason why I'm calling is because um, I'm I'm a little curious about um, – I have a friend of mine that um, he's uh, – you know, I always like to talk about God and what I read in the Bible. And for some reason, he kind of stops me, but then he says that he does believe in the Lord, and this is why he's going to heaven. But I find it to be that he might be in dissolution because he does not practice or does not get angry about learning more about the Lord. So it kind of makes me kind of really odd, you know, like I believe that God maybe kind of takes me away from him. So I will not socialize with him anymore. Um, So I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that. Well, it's possible to know about God and not know God personally. You know, they take the verse as an example, John three sixteen: whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, I believe in God. Actually, when we really study Scripture, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. There's a difference in the word believe there. One, the word believes means to make acknowledgement of, and that's what the demons do and tremble. But in John 3.16, it means believe like you would rappel down the side of a mountain and you would get a rope and you're saying, I believe in this rope. What you're saying is, I'm not believing that this is a rope. There's a lot of ropes that have laid out in the sun that wouldn't hold up five pounds. But when you say, I believe in this rope, you're saying, I'm putting my faith, hope, and trust in this as I rappel down the side of the mountain. Well, there's a difference between acknowledgement and putting all your faith, hope, and trust in him as you would uh, on something uh, of, of, uh, of life and death type of thing. That's what we find in John 3.16, putting all your faith, hope, and trust in him. So I think you'd have to go back to ask him, well, it, it's great that you acknowledge Christ, but have you made him your personal Savior? And if he says, well, what do you mean by that? Then he's only acknowledge Christ, but he hasn't trusted Christ for his salvation. Your thoughts? You know, the Bible does tell us, um, Claudia, that we will know individuals by their fruit. Ultimately, I'm not the one that judges a person's salvation. One day people will stand before Jesus and he's the one who, who ultimately they will judge. However, we are able to discern um, the fruit or the byproduct of a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says that uh, very clearly in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And by that, I mean, what what is the fruit of their life? Do you, do you see they're more like Jesus? Do they look more like the world and less like Jesus, or more like Jesus and more like the world? I mean, if somebody says, I am a Christian, and then lives like they don't know Jesus, that'd be the equivalent of saying uh, somebody who's saying, I'm married to this woman, and they've gone through the vows, whatever, and then they go out and live and they're unfaithful to their wife like they never were married, like they never understood what it meant. Listen, to follow Jesus means this, to follow Jesus. It's a commitment. It's a way of life. And we're all growing in that. If he's at a particular area of growth, maybe he's a new believer and he needs to be discipled. Maybe he's a backslidden believer and he needs to come back to the Lord. Or perhaps 
He was never saved to begin with. As Mike said, he he knows about Jesus, but he doesn't really know Jesus. I think in time you see the fruit. And if somebody is leading you astray, for example, or leading you into sin, listen, you can know right away, that's not something I want to be a part of. That You know, they need to grow in the Lord or get right with the Lord or repent. So it, it's a good question you ask, but a lot of times you can tell by the fruit in a person's life and what, what's coming forth from their life. Is it healthy or is it rotten? Amen. So I hope that that answers it for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That makes me definitely make a good decision on this matter. And um, I just want to be faithful to the Lord. That's all that really matters to me, really. Um, you know, whether I have friends or not, I just want to be, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of Christian friends because I don't belong to an actual church. I'm actually kind of looking for a church here in San Jose for um, expository Bible teaching, but it's been really difficult to do so. So my churches I belong to, it's on on the web, you know, on basically on online and on the radio with you guys. So I belong to your church, <laughs> Pastor Mike, and I'm on, you know, and I'm, you don't even know me. So I, it's it's kind of really bizarre for me to even find myself to be a real Christian when I don't actually belong to a, to a church as well. So, I'd like to say, Claudia, I have a really good friend, personal friend of mine, Calvary Chapel San Jose. He and his wife, personal friends of myself and my wife. There is expository teaching, loves the Lord. It's a solid church. I'd encourage if you haven't been there yet, check it out. I've been there myself. Again, Mike's a personal friend of mine, Pastor Mike McClure. And a shout out to my brother out there, but check it out and, and get involved, get plugged in because we do need each other. We do need community. We do need fellowship. And that's going to encourage you in your walk. You'll be able to surround yourself with a lot of like-minded people. Uh, and and that'd be a real blessing for you. And, and uh, you know, Mike's a pretty dynamic guy, stands up to what's right. At times, even when uh, it's not comfortable to do that during right. COVID, he stood up very strongly uh, to defend Christians. And so, Claudia, you might want to check that out, Calvary Chapel, San Jose. And again, Mike McClure is the pastor there. And I've known his dad for many, many years. And so, uh, Claudia, I hope that helps. Thank you so much, pastors. I really do appreciate it. And yes, definitely, I will definitely look at uh, on Calvary and San Jose. Yeah, and, and stay on the line there, and I'll send you out uh, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as Time to Grow. Uh, then we have uh, the movie Jesus, which is just the based on the book of Luke. And then also we have uh, God of Wonder. Stay in line. We'll get that out to you. Uh, great for evangelism. Let's go to Denise, San Jose. Hi and welcome. Uh, yes. Hello. Yes. How may we help? Um, yes. Hi, Pastor Mike. I'm a first-time caller to your show. Um, Thank you I'm for calling. calling. Because I have. Thank you. Thank you. I'm calling because uh, a few days ago, um, I was listening to another conservative uh, radio station that I listen to a lot. And the host basically on the radio station for the last couple of weeks has been telling his audience that being saved, salvation through Jesus Christ is not enough. You have to be baptized. And, you know, he's always sharing a lot of scripture about this, that you have to be baptized. Salvation isn't enough. And then he basically also said that preachers and Christians need to stop teaching that type of teaching about Jesus Christ. You have to be baptized. And it really bothered me. And I didn't know if to call in, but I I, I got courage to call in and try to share some scripture with him that you're telling your audience that you need to be, you know, you have to 
work for salvation. And basically, we we were in such disagreement about this. And I tried, again, tried sharing some scripture with him. I was a little nervous, but I felt like, you know, I, I know the truth. I don't know everything, but I do know that Jesus Christ is enough and that his grace, you know, saved us and not by our works and that we cannot mix grace and we cannot mix law and that the law does not save you. It just basically shows us that we're sinners and we need a savior. And I just felt compelled that I needed to tell him that because he has all this audience listening to him. And I just feel like he needs prayer because it was like scary to me for him it to is scary. think that it, it was very scary to me because I was listening. I have been listening to him for a long time. Um, like the lady, um, I used to go to a church, but I wasn't getting fed enough at that church. So I started listening to like your program and other conservative stations. And I just, he needs prayer. And I'm just so afraid for him and his audience and they're in such agreement with him. And he, you know, a lot of people, hundreds, thousands, I'm sure, of people listening to him. And so for him to teach that you cannot be saved through Jesus Christ alone, it's just scary to me. I'm afraid for him. I'm afraid for his audience. And he needs prayer, I mean, to the point where telling his audience not to listen to people like you or other pastors that teach Jesus Christ, that's where our salvation comes. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Well, he, you you said you did. You said I I don't think I know very much. Well, personally, I believe you know a whole lot more than he does. And uh, again, they will misquote. Jesus says, "Unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he'll not enter into the kingdom of God." See that speaking of baptism? No, it's not. The context is Nicodemus says, "What do I got to do? Go back in my mom?" No, the idea is when the water breaks, out comes the baby. That's your birthday. And then you have a spiritual birthday just like it. But to say that water is baptism is completely false. Because the Bible says, unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit. That's not the way we're baptized. We believe and then we're baptized. But that's not the order that in John 3 it says. First comes water, then comes uh, um, salvation. No, it, it, that's that's it, it's very clear in the context. He's talking about our natural birth, and just as we all have a natural birth, we need a supernatural birth, and that's one of the things. And all the way through the Bible. Now, again, going back to our first caller. This idea that I'm going to generate something to be spiritual, I'm going to be baptized, that makes me something. False. Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. The thief on the cross, again, was not baptized. Well, it got dark and it rained on him, and that was his baptism. Well, first of all, it doesn't say that it rained at all. And we find that baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. Not necessary for salvation. I believe it's necessary for obedience. It's not an option. It's something we should do. But if you were to die and not be baptized and you believed in Christ and you were on your way to a baptism, oh, well, you weren't baptized. You're not saved. That is heresy. Your thoughts? 
You know, baptismal regeneration is, I think, what Denise was referring to, Mike, and that's the belief that baptism is necessary for salvation. Or more precisely, they say that regeneration does not occur until a person is water baptized. And some of the churches, and I don't mind saying it, that I would watch out for that advocate this kind of, and I'll say it, false teaching is the Church of Christ, also the International Church of Christ. Some will go so far as to say if you are not baptized into our church, then you are not saved. But a couple of scriptures to keep in mind. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There it is right there. But I would also add to that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, I think a verse that they don't often look at is when the Apostle Paul says these words, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, that's interesting, because if the gospel is water baptism included to be saved, Paul, you really weren't preaching the gospel. Paul makes a distinction. The Lord didn't send me to baptize. That wasn't my main thing. My main point was to preach the gospel. And the gospel, believing in the gospel and having faith in Christ and saved by grace through faith, that is the gift of God. The baptism is just that outward sign as you go under the water of you being buried with Christ. Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live Christ who lives in me. When when does that happen? That happens when you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart. Jesus, you are my savior. I repent of my sin. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's following that, that now to the world, I want to demonstrate I'm identifying with Jesus. How do I do that? I'm already saved, but what's happened on the inside, I demonstrate to the world by going under that water and coming out again and revealing to everybody, I'm following Christ. So um, it's for identification, not for salvation. Let me just last thing. Hey, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, you should be. It's a blessing. It's awesome. It's a great step in your walk with the Lord. Don't put it off. I'd encourage you to do it, but it's because you're identifying with Jesus. Yeah. In Old Testament, uh, if you were to become a follower of Yahweh, you would renounce your pagan deity. You would then embrace Yahweh as your God. And then you take a ceremonial washing. And this is what made John the Baptist's ministry so unusual. He comes to the Jewish nation who believed they inherited their righteousness from Abraham and from Moses and said, you Jewish nation, you need to take a ceremonial washing. And this is why he was hated by the Sanhedrin as well. Because you see, they believed that they inherited their spirituality. You see, we it's an outward sign of an inward change. And so it doesn't do anything to wash away our sins. The Bible clearly says that's what the blood of Jesus is for. And we remember in the Last Supper, Jesus held up the cup. This is the blood of my blood, which is a covenant of the New Testament shed for you. And then he held up a big glass of water, and he said, now you drink this too, because this is baptism. And then he held up the bread. No, he held up the cup, the blood, the the wine representing his blood. He held up the bread, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So I believe that's really important, even there, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so when you really look at all the verses, not just the ones that they like, 
But you look at all the verses, what you quoted, John, again, so good that I didn't come to baptize anybody. I came to preach the gospel. Well, to them, the gospel is baptism. But that's not what Paul said. So understanding that we have to look at all the verses and what it originally was for. It was an outward sign of an inward change. And so I hope that helps, Denise. Um, It helps a lot. I am in total agreement with the both of you. I just was concerned that a lot of people listen to your radio shows. And like I said, this person is very popular. And I just feel, you know, when he said those things, he's teaching false things. And I know that the Lord said we'll be held accountable for that. And I really wanted to share some of those scriptures with them, but they were getting so annoyed with me. Basically, they hung up on me and I just, I, I just didn't know what else to do, but Lord, you know, it's hard for me to listen to his, the radio station now because of these teachings that he tells the audience. And so I basically, if you guys can say a prayer for this person, the Lord knows who it is because he has a huge audience. And to put that out there, I'm just, a, like I said, I'm afraid for him. I'm afraid for his audience. And I am a person, a believer in Jesus Christ, but I don't want anybody to perish either because they get misinformation. So I, I appreciate you guys sharing that. And I just hope somebody else like me that has care for people, that they understand what you're saying. And Jesus Christ is enough. And everything else, he'll teach us everything else after that, once we accept him as our Lord and Savior. So thank you. Well, Denise, I, I'd venture to say probably not only is he off in this area, but usually uh, wrong doctrine breeds wrong or false doctrine. So you'll usually find they're off in several areas, not just one. And so, again, uh, that's why I try and we all try to be very, very careful who we have on this radio network, not to have heresy like that on here. And so, uh, again, um, um, I'm glad you're listening to CSN. A lot more healthy for your heart in your mind. Uh, and so stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Again, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as God of Wonders, the movie Jesus, and a little book called Time to Grow, something you'll really enjoy in your faith. And so stay in line. We'll get you taken care of. And let's go to Jerry in Montana. Hi, welcome. Hi there. I was wondering about permanent makeup, tattooing, and microblading, what the Bible says about that, and is that okay to do? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to get tattoos. You know, I think a lot of times people take the passage, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, where it says, don't cut your bodies for the dead, nor put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. And so they'll usually go to that passage out of Leviticus and say, hey, you shouldn't get a tattoo. That's what it says in Leviticus chapter uh, 19. But but you also might want to look at the verse before it because it says in Leviticus 19.27, don't cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. So you got to be careful, you know, to be, basically tattoos are not a sin. Um, you, if you feel led to get a tattoo, that's up to you. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin. I always tell people, Mike, listen, you, I always say, think before you ink. If you're going to get ink, make sure it's the Lord. Cause if you get something that you're not going to want later on, it's permanent. So I don't think there's anything wrong with microblading or permanent makeup or a tattoo. That's really something to be decided between you and the Holy Spirit. But I think it's something to pray about. Is this something God wants me to do, but not a sinful thing? 
Yeah, the Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are the best for us. And, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have tattoos that have tattoo remorse. (laughs) Something to always think about. Well, we're out of time. Uh, Joey, Denise, the rest, please call us back tomorrow and we'll put you on first thing. Jerry, I hope that answers the question for you. If it didn't, you're welcome to call back again tomorrow as well. Stay on the line, send you out the books, DVDs, and thanks, John, so much for being on today. Look forward to being back with you. God bless you and good night. Please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Everyman and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 